Amen. It's good to see you. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 17. Well, last week we saw in Matthew 17 the transformation, the transfiguration of Christ when he was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and then all of a sudden Jesus was transfigured before them and they saw his glory, they saw his power, how he has equal glory with the Father and the Spirit, how Jesus is truly God, and then how the Father speaks from heaven, this is my son who I love, it's, and Moses and Elijah are there. It's an amazing moment. And then they come down from the mountain. And this is where we catch up. We catch them coming down from the mountain and Jesus is going to teach them about kingdom ministry now. And about these three different stories are all gonna kind of collide into what does ministry look like for us here on ground level, ministering for Christ and with one another for the glory of Christ. And so let's begin reading in verse nine. And if you're able, let's stand together in honor of reading of the word of Christ Beginning of verse nine, as they just saw the transfiguration, Matthew tells us, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision, what you just saw, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So the disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. When they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith, he told them. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. When they, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But... So we won't offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. This is God's word. You may be seated. This, this passage has, has a lot of stories kind of all going, these three different coming down the mountain conversation with the, the boy that's possessed by a demon moment, and then the, the coin in the fish's mouth. Is Jesus going to make them become fishers of money now? Hey, no, no, 
uh, this, uh, prosperity teachers are missing this passage if they really want to get into prosperity gospel stuff. That, there's a lot of strange things happening here. But here's, here's what I think is happening in all these stories. The Lord is reminding them what they're being trained for. And, and this text reminds us for our purpose as a church. Jesus' disciples here in Matthew and in Mark and Luke and, and John, they are being trained for something. They are in a 24-7 apprenticeship with Jesus of Nazareth. They're learning to act like Jesus, how to teach like Jesus, how to minister like Jesus, and then how to teach people how to follow Jesus. They aren't being trained to be spiritual figures in the greater Jerusalem area. They They aren't being trained to be the morality police in Israel. Jesus is training these men to make disciples of Jesus, to spread the name of Jesus, and to invite people to follow Jesus, and then to do this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then do it to the ends of the earth. And Redeemer Church, that's us too. Far too often we can come here and sing songs and listen to a sermon and then serve and go to small groups and then go to Bible studies and and build great friendships with one another and forget why we exist as a church. We don't exist to to become spiritual figures in the greater Houston area. We don't meet meet week after week so we can learn how to become the morality, morality police on social media. We all want mountain top moments in our walks with Jesus. We all want big spiritual highs and joys like the Matter of Transfiguration. Those are great. But we also have to come down and have ground level actually spreading the name of Jesus. That's what happens to them. Because what does Peter want? Let's build some booths. Let's stay on top. I'll build one for you. I'll build one for Elijah. I'll build one for Moses. Let's hang out here. And Jesus says, we're coming back down. And you guys are going to do ministry. And he's going to teach them and us three realities for kingdom ministry. Because if you are a Christian, you are called to help spread and help to advance the kingdom of Christ. And before Jesus launches into these three lessons for them, do you see what happens? As they're coming down the mountain, he tells them in verse 9, don't tell anyone about the transfiguration, what you just saw, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Why? Jesus does this a lot. Don't tell anybody about this until I've been raised from the dead. Until I've been raised from the dead. Why? Well, first, he's already drawing massive crowds, places he goes, and it's challenging to do ministry in some of these places. But I think more than that, There are things that we cannot fully comprehend until we believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's the starting point of Christianity. The starting point of Christianity is not to try to understand this book and then apply it to your life and then you can learn how to follow Jesus. The starting point of Christianity is to believe that there is an empty grave somewhere in Israel. And then you begin to understand this book. And then these things start to make sense. And so Jesus is even telling his disciples, really, you guys don't understand this moment fully, but you will when I rise from the dead. And in the same way for us, we read this, and now we have the green light. Tell people about the transfiguration because Jesus has risen from the dead. And so now we can understand that the veil has been removed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, and we can begin to see things in the scriptures because Jesus rose from the dead. Because some people, they just want to follow Jesus because of what he taught. They like Jesus for what he stands for. Some people like Jesus, his reputation, he's a good guy. 
Jesus talking about his resurrection is reminding us he's not just a good teacher, he's not just a great guy, but that he is the risen king of kings. And that's where he wants us to think. That's where he wants us to begin with him. And the first thing that we see about advancing the kingdom of the risen Christ, telling people that Jesus will forgive them and invite them in and that they should give their allegiance to Jesus, if we're gonna do that, if you're going to do that, Jesus begins here, we will suffer. We will suffer. Look at what happens. So Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. Verse 10, so the disciples asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? This feels like a, we're changing the conversation type moment. Jesus told them, what did he say in verse nine? Don't tell anybody until I raise from the dead. What would your next question be? You're gonna raise from the dead? Their next question is, so this Elijah thing, they're they're not on the same wavelength, but Jesus gets them there. They're asking about Elijah because their scribes and scholars and rabbis believe that the Messiah will come, but Elijah will come first. So people are objecting to Jesus. Elijah has to come first. And Jesus says, they're right. Elijah does have to come first. And guys, this is actually the last two verses in the Old Testament. The last two verses in the book of Malachi talk about how Elijah will come and then everything will be restored and then the Messiah. So that's what's being taught those last two verses in Malachi. And who did they just see on the mountain? They did see Elijah. So all of this is coming into their minds. Last verses of Malachi, we just saw Elijah. Okay, you're raising from the dead, I know, got it. But what what about all those other stuff that people are saying? What does Jesus say here? Elijah did come and they tortured him. They abused him. They mistreated him, and I'm gonna suffer too. Look, I tell you, Elijah has already come, verse 12, and they didn't recognize him. They're right, he is going to come, and he already did. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased him. They abused him, and in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. He brings it right back to what he's trying to tell them. John the Baptist got his head chopped off for trying to advance the kingdom of Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified and that will advance the kingdom. I'm going to die for sinners and pay for sins, and I will advance the kingdom. And what did he tell the disciples a few weeks ago? You guys will have crosses to pick up too. And he's gonna tell them again, a student is not above their teacher. An apprentice is not above their master. If they treated me this way, they will treat you this way. The kingdom moves forward at a cost and it is often with pain and it is with loss. So here's what we're seeing, beloved. We're talking about John the Baptist, reminding them they have a cross to pick up. Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer and spread the kingdom. Listen, the intensity at which we seek to spread the name of Jesus will match the intensity at which we are rejected. We experience pain, we experience loss, persecution, our suffering in the culture. The intensity at which we seek to spread the name of Jesus will correlate with the intensity at which we are persecuted, rejected, cast off, lose relationships, just period. We have to remember, beloved, we are in enemy territory. We do not live in a Christian country. There is no such thing. We live behind enemy lines, 
And we are smuggling in the gospel of the kingdom, inviting people to come and believe in the risen Christ. It reminded me this week back during the playoffs, baseball playoffs. And did you see the video of the Astros fan in Yankee Stadium who was getting booed, and getting food thrown at him, getting beers tossed at him, um, people yelling all kinds of things at him? Why? There were other Astros fans there. Pastor Kevin and one of his sons, they were there at a game in Yankee Stadium. They wore their Astros gear. And as far as I know, Kevin didn't get a beer bath in New York City. But the Astros fan in that video got what he got because he was being vocal. He was mocking the Yankees. He was making his Astros commitment known. It was intense. And Newtonian physics came into play. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So it came back. So now I'm not saying that if you've never had a beer thrown on you, then you must not love Jesus. But I am saying if you've never experienced any any level of going against the grain, of being disliked, of because of your allegiance to Jesus, you aren't engaging in kingdom advancement. If you're not feeling any suffering for Christ, it's not because you figured it out. You found the loophole. We should all feel seats taken moments like in Forrest Gump because of our apprenticeship to Jesus. That we suffer, relationships got cut off, we lose sales, we lose a promotion, we lost a friend, a family member won't speak to us anymore because we are energetically and faithfully seeking to spread the kingdom of Christ. And then when we do, we'll feel resistance. So are you? Have you? With who? When? It's just reality. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. It's, it's going to come our way. We will suffer if we are seeking to advance the kingdom. But we keep going because kingdom advances through trusting the power of Jesus. We just, that's the next reality. We gotta trust the power of Jesus always. So as they reach the crowd and this kingdom ministry unfolds now with this demon-possessed boy and this father. Look at verse 14. They reached the crowd and a man approached and knelt down before Jesus. Lord, he said, you had to get all this in your mind. A father kneeling before Christ, calling him Lord, have mercy on my son. Why? Because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and then often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Do you still think there are spiritual forces of evil in this world? Because sometimes we read things like this and we think, oh man, that's, that was back then, but today, not so much. Do you still think there are spiritual forces of evil at work in North Houston? I, I do. I've encountered them. And you do too. There are demonic powers at work all around us. They put effort and energy into spreading lies. They put power and, and stock into controlling people and possessing people. They afflict people. They torment people. They terrorize people. And here this demon is trying to destroy this boy. The devil wants to ruin people. And Jesus shows up because Jesus wants to save people. And, and in this kingdom warfare, 
It's not against your neighbors. It's not against political figures. It's not against spiritual, it's against spiritual forces of evil over this present age. That's why Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's why Paul says, and Jesus say, love your neighbor, love your enemy. The war is not against the person, but against the powers over this present age. This is why kingdom advancement is challenging. And why so important right now for Redeemer Church in 2020 and beyond is that we must view ourselves, the local church, we must view ourselves not as a cruise ship, but as a battleship. Because we have a mission and it isn't to entertain each other. People that get upset at churches because they don't have the right ministry for their children or their services aren't as entertaining, they don't understand the point of church anyways. We do not exist to entertain you, but to equip you to spread the kingdom of Christ, to tell people they can be rescued from this present evil age and to point people to Jesus and to tell them you can have all of your sins forgiven. Every horrible, wretched thing you hate that you've done, God will love you and bring you in. That's why we plant churches, why we go to the nations, because we want to see those who are burdened by this world to find freedom in Jesus. And you see these people every week. You see them in the hallways. You see them on the soccer fields. People that are beaten down and stuck, controlled by the pursuits and lies of this world. And we will either roll our eyes in disgust or we will speak. And this father comes to Jesus asking for help. His son's demonized, and the disciples can't help. They tried. They couldn't cast the demon out. They tried. They couldn't do it. And Jesus laments the evil of this world. Verse 17, I know it sounds weird to hear Jesus say this, but let's get into the moment. Jesus sees this demon-possessed boy and says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Hear this as a lament from Christ about evil in the world. He sees this demon-possessed boy, and he thinks, how much longer is stuff going to be like this? I hate this kind of stuff. This, is this, this reminds me of him crying of the death of his friend Lazarus. We see the humanity of Christ on display. When you see commercials for St. Jude's Hospital, something in you goes, I hate watching this. I, I just hate to see these kids suffer this way. And Jesus sees this demon-possessed boy, and he says, how much longer is it going to be this way? I hate the evil in this world. He says, bring him here to me. I'm going to fix this. And Jesus does. Jesus does what Jesus does, and he heals the boy, rebukes the demon, because Jesus is the Lord of things above the earth and under the earth. Demons cower at the name of Christ. And Jesus does what the disciples could not do, which is like everything in our lives. So here's a little, little side moment. See, the disciples tried to help and they failed. And I love the response of the father. I tried to get your people to help me, but they failed, so I'm coming to you. So listen, if you're, if you're new to church, um, you haven't been in church for a while, maybe you went to church for a long time and you, you've been out and now you're back. Um, I don't doubt that in this part of North Houston, you've had some interactions with Christians and I'm guessing they haven't been helpful or they've been negative um, hurtful, they, they failed. 
And I'm sorry, we, we are not perfect. It's going to happen. We are going to disappoint each other. We're going to hurt and we're, we're going to fail. But copy this dad. When Christians fail and we will, go to Jesus. When Christians disappoint, go to Christ. He, he won't. When Christians don't live up to what you think Christians should live up to, you're right. Go to Jesus. I'm gonna fail you. I'm gonna disappoint you. Just, just go to Jesus. And as, as disciples, when our ministry doesn't work out the way, we should wonder, how come that didn't work? That's what they do. Look at 19. The disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we advance the kingdom? Why couldn't we help out this family? Why did our ministry fail? And Jesus is totally honest with them. Look at verse 20. Because of your little faith. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus says, you didn't do it because your faith was small. You weren't believing rightly. You had a little faith. Remember Land Before Time, that great movie, Little Foot? He's basically calling them a compound word, little faiths. Because you're little faiths. But then look at what he says. It's very confusing. What does he say if only your faith was like? If only you had faith like a mustard seed, you could relocate a mountain. A seed, that's really small. He didn't say, if only you had faith the size of a mountain. This is weird. He just rebukes them. You guys have little faith. If only you had little faith. You just told us we have little faith. Now you're telling us if we had the faith size of a mustard seed? So what is it, Lord? Well, we've seen this before. The disciples' faith in Jesus has floundered before. Their confidence in Jesus has diminished before. So here's what's happening. They clearly tried to help this boy and this father. It wasn't that they didn't even try. Matthew says they tried, but they failed. They tried to do ministry. They tried to advance the kingdom, but what? Well, do you notice there's a verse missing here? Like, I hope you don't get freaked out. If you get freaked out, email me and we could talk. But listen, look in your Bible. Verse 20, you see it. Where's verse 21? There's, it's not here. Why? Well, the King James Version has verse 21, and that's where the numbering system is in, like rooted and embedded into that. But when the King James was made, there was, they don't have the same manuscripts that we have today. They had later manuscripts. We have now ones even closer to the original authorship. And those that are closer, that are better manuscripts, verse 21 isn't in there. But my Bible has the footnote for 21 that says that Jesus replies, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. But there's good news. This doesn't change anything because it is in the Gospel of Mark. Or the Gospel of Mark writes that Jesus said, he told them, the reason you couldn't cast this out is because you weren't praying. Because this kind only comes out by prayer. And so you can take what Jesus says to Mark, in Mark, and what Jesus says in Matthew, and you can lay them on top of each other and see this kind, the reason y'all couldn't cast it out, because it only comes out by prayer. The reason y'all couldn't cast it out is because of your little faith. So you lay these on top of each other and here, here's what you end up getting. Jesus telling them, 
it didn't work because you didn't even have the faith to pray. Translation, you guys couldn't cast this demon out. You guys didn't succeed in ministry here. It's because you tried to do it on your own. You didn't even ask me. You didn't even talk to our father for help. Your faith was so small that you didn't trust my power. They didn't call upon the power of God. They were trusting in their, in their training. Oh, we've seen Jesus do this. We can do it. We heard what he said. We can do it. We saw how he rebuked the demons. We'll do it. We saw how he lay his hands on people. We can do that. They were trusting what they've seen Jesus do and what they thought they knew. And they thought to themselves, I got this. I can do this. And they fail. This is the indisputable reality of being a Christian. We can't be like Jesus without Jesus. You can't do ministry for Jesus without Jesus. We can't truly serve people without the power of Jesus, without calling on him, without praying to him, without trusting him. We won't help anyone. And Jesus says, if you would just do that, you could relocate a mountain. And here's where we have to just push pause here. Remember, sometimes um, in Houston, there are, there are teachers who use this verse and talk about um, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you, you could move mountains in your life. You could move the biggest obstacles in your life, your debt, your, your marriage is falling apart. If you just had faith, you could move a mountain. That is not what it's talking about. It is not talking about personal accomplishment, growing your bank account, and getting the obstacles out of your life. That's garbage. Jesus, in context, is talking about advancing the kingdom and serving others. If you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, then you could really help others. You could really serve others. That's what this is all about. Faith, confidence in Christ, dialed into helping others. So Jesus picks the smallest agricultural thing they know, a mustard seed, and picks the largest thing they know, a mountain, and says, when you have confidence in me, you pray to me, you call out to me. We can move big things. I can move big things in people's lives. I can remove their addictions. I can restore broken families. I can forgive their sins. I can heal relationships. They can, demons will hightail it if you call on my name. But it only comes from the power of Christ. His death and resurrection from the dead and his power to help now right now. Listen, the only reason I come up here week after week is because I believe there is an empty grave somewhere in Jerusalem. There is no other reason. The only reason we look at this ancient book from the Middle East week after week is because there is a man who refused to stay dead. There is no one else worth following. That's why we gather. And I hope that's why you gather here too. Because he forgives sins. He loves us weary sinners. He's ready to save us and to lead us and to help us. And if we trust the power of Christ, we will do kingdom ministry. But there's two ways we get it wrong. Two ways when we're acting like his disciples and trying to do kingdom ministry, trying to be faithful to the mission of Christ, where we mess it up. And the first one's false confidence. Like them, we try to do it on our own, false confidence. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget one of the first interns Residence we had at Redeemer Church. Great guy, I love this guy. 
And he was preaching for me one Sunday, his first time to preach in like a Sunday morning service. And I talked to him on Thursday, you know, it's the last office day. I was like, hey man, uh, how's, how you feeling? How's it going? And he looked at me and he's like, oh dude, it's gonna be great. I know it, I'm gonna crush it. And I just smiled and I looked at him and said, that's not a good sign. I said, I think you're gonna do terrible and walked out. And it was terrible. He totally bombed. It was awful. And we talked about it the next day. He said, I was, it was horrible. I said, yeah, it was horrible. I said, you know why it was horrible? He said, I had too much confidence in myself. I said, absolutely. Large faith in self means you have little faith in Jesus. Large faith in self means you only have little faith in Jesus. Again, I come here every week just relying on the mercy and power of Jesus. He has to do it. I got nothing. I don't have a secret Bible with answers in the back. I got the same Bible you do. And it's just the power of Christ at work. I can't tell you how many times I've texted my wife after the first service, talked with the elders at the first service, and been like, that was horrible. That might be the worst sermon I've ever given. And just texting her, I've texted my wife before after first service, texting her just the poop emoji. (laughs) That's how I feel about that sermon. But God takes those and he polishes them and he uses them for his glory. And the second way we mess this up is not, not false confidence, but a false start. Jesus says in verse 20 to them, Nothing will be impossible for you. If you, would, if you would have faith in me, you could relocate mountains, you could really serve people, and nothing will be impossible for you. So our, our danger, when I talk about the moving mountains, the prosperity gospel teachers, and you know, you can grow your bank account, okay, that's not really our danger. Our danger is the not believing nothing will be impossible for you. We love that reality for, I'm gonna fight a sin in my life, we love telling other people that. You just gotta believe if you're feeling anxious. You know, nothing will be impossible. You gotta trust, trust him. But how many of us aren't doing anything for kingdom advancement, for making disciples, for spreading the name of Jesus because we're afraid? Because we're worried how people would respond. Because we feel like it's impossible. If you were asked, hey, do you wanna go on a mission trip and do evangelism? In, in Thailand, you want to go do evangelism in the inner city? Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's for me. What happened to nothing will be impossible? What happened to I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Hey, we, we need more people to share the gospel with kids on Sunday mornings, to pray with kids on Sunday mornings. Would you want to come and serve and redeem your kids and tell these kids about Jesus? They could meet Jesus because of your ministry. Uh, I don't know. I I've just, I just been around kids a lot this week and I, just, I, I want to break. What happened to nothing would be impossible? What happened to I can do all things through Christ? Why aren't your coworkers trusting Christ? Because of your little faith. Because you aren't trusting Christ and stepping out and boldly telling them. You haven't invited that friend to believe in Jesus because you doubt how they would respond. You don't invite people to church because uh, they don't want to come here. 
You don't speak up in group. You, you don't teach students and serve in the church because you doubt the power of Christ at work in you. Beloved, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make and equip disciples of Jesus to advance the kingdom and push it forward because we know verses 22 and 23 are true. That as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the son of man's about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Jesus reminds them again, this is why we're here this is what I came to do. And you're gonna tell people about this after I rise from the dead. And this reminds us, this is why we're here. This is why we do what we do. And the, the Bible says that they're distressed because they don't fully understand Jesus' Messiahship. They still want somebody with Thor's hammer to come and kick, to kick Rome out of Israel. But what they haven't understood yet is that the victory will not come by wielding the hammer, but the victory comes by being under the hammer. That the victory will come through Christ's death and, and resurrection, through suffering, because Jesus is not setting up a temporary kingdom, but an eternal one. And for us to continue to advance the kingdom here in North Houston, we will suffer, we will be rejected, we will experience loss, we will have awkward conversations. I mean, good grief. Is an awkward conversation the biggest thing we're afraid of? Jesus rose from the dead. We have somebody who conquered death, the most terrifying thing in the world. So, okay, we'll, we'll suffer. We're gonna trust in the power and name of Christ. And then simply, if we're gonna keep advancing the kingdom, we're just gonna have to forego some freedoms. This is the last story here when the collectors of the temple tax confront Peter about this. Look, verse 24. They come to Capernaum to collect the temple tax. And they approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. So when he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon, Peter? For whom do earthly kings collect tariffs and taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free. So the temple tax is a big deal. It's not required in the scriptures, but it's in Jewish culture. It's part of Jewish spirituality, part of the fabric of their life. To ignore it would send shockwaves. So Jesus brings up a scenario. Peter, do kings collect taxes from their sons? Or do they go knock on their door at night and jingle the bag and say, pay up? No, of course not. Does, does, does Queen Elizabeth go to Prince Harry and say, hey, you need to pay taxes? She might now, but before. Before, was he? No, of course he was not before. He was exempt. He was free from that. So that's what Jesus says. Verse 26, who pays, Peter? Family or strangers? Strangers. So Jesus says, so the sons are free. What is Jesus saying? I'm the son of God. I don't have to pay this, this religiosity temple tax that my father does not require. The temple's my father's house. My body is the temple that will be torn open. I, I pay the tax. I'm gonna spill my blood. I'm gonna rip that temple curtain in two. The temple belongs to me. I don't have to pay that silly tax at all. And notice he says, he says plural, sons. And he goes and tells Peter, 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 go find that coin and uh, pay it for you and me, not just me, for both of us. Peter's free too. 
because Peter's a child of God too. Because when Jesus is your savior, he's also your brother. And you're free from the religiosity of the world. You don't have to define your your spirituality by anything else other than Christ alone. We're free. You're free from the traditions of North Houston. You're free from the expectations of Bible Belt ways of life. You're free from all that because of Christ. But, verse 27, but, I know I'm free. I know I'm the son of God. I know the temple's my father's house. I know the temple belongs to me. But so we won't offend them. There are some of us who we think, I speak my mind. I'm a straight shooter. If people get offended, so what? And Jesus says, not so what? Some of us need to put our straight shooter holster away. I'm free, it's free country, free speech, say whatever I want. No, you can't, you belong to Christ. And even Jesus, who is the son of God, says, so I won't offend them, go into the sea. This is, this is weird. Even the best commentaries I read about this passage were like, I have no idea what's happening here. <laughs> and so I find great comfort in that. And so should you. Every time you read the Bible, are like, yeah, that's weird. That's just what happened. He goes into the, go to the sea, Cast a fish hook, first bite you get, take that fish, open it up, boom, coin, let's go. God's gonna provide what we need for this, Peter. Jesus is saying in all of this, they're gonna, they don't understand the freedom that we have. So to minister to them, throw out a line, catch a fish, take that coin, and pay the man, miracle. Jesus is telling Peter, we have bigger fish to fry than this temple tax. So we have bigger things to deal with. We got freedom in Christ, not to wave it in people's faces, but to lay it down and to serve others. That maybe, just maybe, we might win people over. As Paul says, to Jews, I acted like a Jew. To Greeks, I acted like a Greek. In one part, Paul shaves his head. And Paul does whatever he can to adapt to people that's non-essential, that won't corrupt the gospel. How can I reach this person? How can I get a hearing with them? And Peter learned from this moment. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says, submit as free people. I I think he remembers this conversation with Jesus. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. See that? Everyone. Honor unbelievers. Love brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. This is going to be someone who's going to persecute Christians, going to set them on fire. Some of us need to repent of our hypocrisy of dishonoring President Obama and honoring President Trump as though he's the Lord himself. Honor the emperor, honor everyone. Here's why. Because the gospel is offensive enough on its own. We don't need to use our freedoms to offend others. I mean, the gospel is telling people, you are a sinner. You are estranged from God. But Jesus was nailed to the cross for your sins. And he rose again, and he's been alive for 2,000 years now. And he invites you to believe in him and be saved. And he's the only way to be saved. And he will return, and he will judge the living and the dead. That doesn't need any extra offense. 
So let the gospel be clear. And if you're going to advance the kingdom, there will be things that you are free to do, free to believe, free to support, free to engage in, but sometimes you may have to put those down. In Christ, we are free to enjoy alcohol and to not get drunk. But there will be times not to exercise that freedom so as to not offend an unbeliever. I'm not talking about a legalistic believer. I'm talking about an unbeliever that you're trying to win over to the gospel. You're free to homeschool your children. But if you berate unbelievers about that, you're losing the point of the gospel. Ways of dress, entertainment, and maybe it's our preferences and our priorities, our opinions and our stances on politics. Because listen, some of us get more riled up about people's allegiance to a political party than we do where their allegiance is with Christ. And that's wrong. That clouds the gospel. Jesus is teaching us, don't let anything get in the way of a clear hearing of the gospel. Don't let your stances, your freedoms, drown out the news of the crucified and risen friend of sinners. We have an agenda, and it's not ours. Kingdom first. Kingdom first. So prepare to suffer for the kingdom. Remember the power of the kingdom is Christ himself. And then all hail the King of Kings. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us now. There are things that you have called us to by your spirit that we just think are impossible for us to do. Because faith, uh, faith in ourselves is too big. Because we're not trusting your power. Help us, King Jesus. Some of us have, have been too afraid. Too afraid to tell people that they could be saved by you, forgiven by you. So prepare us to suffer for the kingdom, to walk faithfully with you, to, to trust your power. And some of us, we will flaunt our freedoms and have no concern for the kingdom. No concern for, for unbelievers coming to know you and to believe in you, to find salvation in you. So help us, King Jesus, to be kingdom workers first, advancers of the kingdom first. Help us now, Lord, to take that battleship mentality as we war against this evil age and the demonic powers and the lies and the culture. Help us now, Lord, to honor everyone, to love the brothers and sisters, and to make disciples and make much of you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.